0: So you are listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. And I think we are going to go right to our next guest since he is on the line and move from talking about Governor Cuomo maybe running for a higher office someday to someone who is actually running for higher office now. We have on the line City Council Member Rafael Espinal from Brooklyn. He is a candidate for public advocate. Uh, Councilman, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be on, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Are you running for president at any at any
2: point in the near in the near future?
1: Well, this race right happening right now is actually a uh, way to get my name out. And, yes, uh, hopefully put myself on the ballot. There you go, win the public advocate
2: special election, and you still have time to run in twenty twenty. So, uh, council member, good to talk with you. Tell tell us and listeners here on WBAI just a little bit about who you are, the district you represent. You know, sort we'll get into you know what you think are your top accomplishments, but just a little background on sort of who you are and and where you're from.
1: Sure, I'm a born and raised New Yorker, lived in Brooklyn my entire life, uh, grew up in East New York, Cypress Hills, probably one of the most disinvested neighborhoods in the city uh, historically, a uh, neighborhood that's always had high crime, uh, very high unemployment rates, uh, probably some of the most disinvested schools and in infrastructure. Uh, so w- when I ran for office at the age of 26, 27, uh, I ran because I felt that it was time for a uh, local government to actually start paying attention to neighborhoods like mine uh, so I, I ran on a platform of how can we uh, increase uh investment into east new york and cypress hills and make sure the quality of life issues that my community has suffered through for a very really long time are actually uh, finally being addressed
2: and so what have some of those issues been? Tell tell us and tell listeners as you gear up here for this sprint of a special election, what are some of the things, what would you say are some of the highlights of, of your accomplishments as a city council member? What do you hang your hat on at this point?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I believe all politics are local, uh, so I did spend uh, the first half of my career uh, doing everything I, c- I could uh, to secure those investments. Uh, one of the most notable uh, actions I've taken is to uh, spearhead uh, the, the first rezoning that the mayor had slated uh, for his affordable housing plan uh, when he approached uh, my district. Uh, you know it was I saw it as an opportunity to finally get all those investments and making sure that that my my district had the best schools the city had to offer. Uh, had some of the most affordable housing that the city has to offer, uh, that we were able to uh, use the opportunity to create good-paying local jobs so that people in my district uh, could be able to afford to continue to live in their communities. Uh, and also, uh, my district is is a, a district where uh, a lot of homeowners reside, you know, one or two family homeowners who uh, suffered through the uh, foreclosure crisis in the 2008. So I also started an opportunity for the city to actually... Uh, start having a real conversation of, of what we're going to do to give those homeowners uh, the resources they need to stay above water and continue also providing affordable housing for the tenants that live in those homes. Uh, so through that rezoning, I also push the city to create a, a legalization basement pilot program uh, where East New York will be the first neighborhood to uh, to allow for uh, uh, legalizing uh, of basements. Uh, and You know, I I guess I would say overall we were able to bring in over a quarter of a million dollars uh, uh, of historic investments. And we're going to see a a lot of uh, the fruits of that labor over the next few years. Uh, And especially in the past two years, we we have seen um, the neighborhood start receiving those services that we never had before. For example, there's a Workforce One Center where the unemployed and underemployed are, are being able to connect to jobs across the city uh, and in the community. Uh, there There is a community center that the, that the neighborhood has never had before, which is actually being worked on right now and should be, and should be opening its doors uh, sometime at the end of this year. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. But I, I have to say that I feel that you know everything that I that I set out to accomplish uh, as a council member, I was able to do. Uh, and, and in the past two years, uh, after the rezoning, I, I felt it was time for me to look at how policy, Policy um, uh, could, could play a major role in shaping the direction of the entire city, uh, and I started branching out and working on legislation uh, to make sure that New York City uh, is, is continues being the city that never sleeps. I I, I have passed legislation to repeal the historic uh, notorious cabaret law, and also created an office of nightlife to help support the 25,000 uh, nightlife establishments across the city and the 300,000 workers uh, that work in those establishments. And uh, I've also been focused on environmental issues. Uh, I've been leading the fight uh, against single-use plastics. Um, I have another bill that would require green roofs across the city. And um, you know, I, I just think it's important that we continue those conversations. And I see the public advocate uh, position as a as a as a place where I can continue my work on a larger platform.
0: Councilman, since you mentioned land use in East New York, the rezoning there obviously a huge uh, part of the, the story in in recent years. You and your council colleague Antonio Reynoso have been involved in this Bushwick community plan, kind of trying to lay a community inclusive framework for what is expected to soon be um, some rezoning of that neighborhood that's obviously been um, a a kind of long-running process, a very delicate process. It's at a pretty important stage now. If you were to win the special election, become public advocate, that would mean that you'd be removed from kind of direct oversight of that process and having a direct say on that rezoning. Is that something that should concern your constituents in Bushwick?
1: I think not. I think uh, actually being a becoming the next public advocate would give me uh, the platform I need to hold the mayor accountable. Uh, and, and I think it's important to note that the Bushwick rezoning plan was, was a, a, a process uh, that Antonio and I created to give local residents or empower local residents uh, with the opportunity to shape what they believe that plan should look like. So at the end of the day, I think anyone who, who is the council member there, um, uh, the, the goal of that plan was to make sure that the plan is put forward, what was created by the neighborhood and the council member, whether it be me or whether it be someone else, uh, the role should be the person who solidifies what the community actually wants.
2: Just uh, before we get into other substantive matters, have you decided, have you started uh, the petitioning effort and have you decided what your ballot line is is going to be?
1: Yeah, so we actually got the petition so hot off the presses. Uh, the ballot line will be uh, uh, the Livable City Party.
2: The uh, Livable City Party. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think New York City has, has become less uh, livable. Uh, it's getting harder and harder uh, to be a New Yorker. I think it's time that we put a platform forward that's going to make uh, a New York City, uh, that, uh, a city that's inclusive for all, but also uh, addressing a lot of the societal and environmental issues uh, that we are facing today. Uh, and our team will go out actually tonight. We want to get all getting signatures and making sure we have the signatures anything everything on the ballot.
2: We're, you're sort of in and out a little bit. So if we lose you for a second, uh, call us back. Uh, the the livable city, so that that should uh, get us, I think, a little bit more into what your platform looks like for becoming public advocate. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like. This is obviously an office where the office holder gets to decide a lot of what the, the office does and the priorities and the functions of the office. What would a public advocate's office under Rafael Espinal look like?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think I think that we all New Yorkers feel that it's getting harder to live in the city, and for many of us, it's impossible. Uh, Rents have gone uh, sky high, and for those who can afford to live here, are are not seeing the city as an attractive place because of the deteriorating infrastructure, the EPA. And high congestion that we're seeing in the city. Um, so I, I think it's important that we have a public advocate that's going to set up, that's going to put together a plan or, or policy ideas of what the city should be doing in order to increase the quality of living uh, for all New Yorkers. That means dealing with the affordability. That means making our communities more greener. That means that means making sure that that that. Uh, transportation issues are being addressed, and it's a lot easier to be able to get to work every single morning. Uh, and, you know, I think it's no secret that the public mm-hmm. advocate doesn't have the power to introduce legislation. That's what I find uh, the most attractive about the job, and you will still be able to uh, shape uh, the direction of the city uh, through legislative powers. Uh, I think what's also important is that when, when there are conversations that are not being had, when the issues that matter most to New Yorkers, uh, like congestion, are not being talked about, uh, the public advocate could and should be holding the mayor accountable to making sure that we have a plan in place that's going to that's gonna deal with those issues. When the mayor and the governor want to get into a, a fight about who should be paying for the MTA, uh, the public advocates should be inserting their voice and making sure that, they, that the people's voice is being heard throughout the process. Because what gets lost when we have uh, you know, the state and, and the city uh, fighting about who should be doing what? What gets lost is the voices and the issues of the people uh, resonating and being addressed. So I think under, under my leadership, uh, my job will be to legislate and also be vocal about the direction of the leadership.
0: Livability is interesting. There are so many different elements to that. And one that has come up recently, in addition to questions about transit, questions about housing, is just the sheer congestion on city streets, even just pedestrians. I think they had to close the Brooklyn Bridge for like half an hour uh, last weekend because of the crowds. And there has been a reporting about just how crowded sidewalks are. I'm wondering, New York City is at 8.6 million, headed toward 9 million. Do you think that the policy conversation in the city has to begin to come to grips with the possibility that? There is, some, there is some natural limit to how big the city can get, to how many people it can absorb, uh, to how much we might need to start looking to the region to house people. When you think about livability, is that the kind of concern you're talking about?
1: Oh, I, I think that that's something that should be spoken about um, at, at a deeper level. Uh, and again, New York City is just not Manhattan and the Woodlawn communities. Uh, New York City uh, stretches out to the outer boroughs, but the reality is is that it's it's harder to to be able to get into the city and to be, to be able to go uh, when you live in communities that are transit deserts. You know, there are still communities in Queens uh, that ha- that have issues with their bus service, issues with their train service, uh, and and those are the issues that need to be addressed. Also. The city is not selling to the disability community you know, and for the elderly. It's hard to get around. A lot of the sidewalks uh, do not have the, the proper uh, pavement, so that so that uh, so those folks can get around. The, the MCA has not done the right investments to make sure that the, the elevator services are, are, are in key uh, neighborhoods. And also, when, when you look at uh, the, the ride share premiums, uh, a lot a lot of people feel that they're being left again left left out of the conversation and it's getting harder to get around
2: so let me so, let me jump in. Yeah. Let me jump in real quick and, and maybe you're getting there, but let, let me ask you this. On some of these issues you mentioned, if you're a public advocate, what do you do? I mean, what, what are the strategies? What are the tactics? You obviously mentioned uh, the, that you like the idea of still being able to introduce legislation like you, you do in your current role as city council member. But what what else would you do on these issues of accessibility or transportation deserts? I mean, what do you do as public advocate on those?
1: I think it's important for for New Yorkers to understand that the public advocacy, I believe, is a seat that is powered uh, by the voters and the residents of New York City. Uh, we, you know, as, as a public advocate, you do have a much larger staff, you do have a much larger budget, where you'd be able to, you know, galvanize New Yorkers and push the conversation and make sure that those in power, like the mayor and the governor, are being held accountable and making the right investments that need to be done. I think a public advocate should also uh, push to sit on some of these uh, boards that dictate that, that, the, 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 the MPA and the funding and, and whether the building So, uh, you know, we have to push to make sure that the public advocate's office, on the table uh, so that New Yorkers' voices can get heard. Uh, legislation, of course, uh, you know, we have to think through the policies that would make sure that you know, the city is more livable. And those are things that I'm going to continue focusing on. But I think it's important to know that as a public advocate, as a city-wide elected official, uh, you know, being, being one of three uh, officials that you, you do have uh, the, the influence and, and, and the bully pulpit uh, to push uh, those in power to, to make the right decisions.
0: Since its inception, there are folks who have criticized the Office of Public Advocate as being primarily a stepping stone to higher office. And there have been four public advocates in in city history thus thus far. I'm sure if you were elected, you'd be your own person. But looking back over the time in the city that you've been paying attention, what's an example of a case where the public advocate's power has been used effectively? Um, One of the predecessors in that office, something they have done that you thought was an example of, this is why this office needs to be. Does anything stand out in your mind? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, one thing stands out, and again, it comes back down to legislation, and... Tish James, I believe, uh, passed one of the most important bills uh, in this past four years uh, when it comes to uh, labor and, and the gender uh, pay equity gap. Uh, she passed a piece of legislation that uh, prohibits employers to ask salary history apply for a job there. And what that means is that, you know, especially women who have been out of the workforce because they probably took time off to raise their families, uh, are able to apply for a job without having to, you know, state what their previous salaries were. And be able to compete for the salary that the job is uh, actually offering. Uh, we see a lot of employers who. Um, who
2: we seem to have lost you there, Council Member. Are you with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm oh. here. Yeah, I'm yep. sorry, I'm here. Yeah, so you were saying so, the legislation. Of, so, go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah. So. Uh, so, you know, we've seen a lot of employ- employers uh, lowball potential employees because of their um, uh, salary history and not uh, based on what the what the job is that should
0: pay.
2: So we're in our final minute or two here with uh, city council member Rafael Espinal running for public advocate in the special election that is taking place. We've just learned in the last day or two or actually a few days, uh, February 26th, everybody should mark their calendars to be ready to vote. Everybody in the city is eligible if you're a registered voter. This is a citywide race. It is a nonpartisan special election, meaning all the candidates have to sort of make up their own ballot line. And we heard from council member Espinal that he's running on the livable city Uh, party line that he's uh, now introduced with his ballot petitions. So let's talk sort of the political landscape of this race. Um, We're sort of assuming that once ballot petitions are due, this field narrows a bit from the, let's say, 25 to 30 people who've said they're running. Um, But let's say even there's a dozen candidates running and on the ballot. How do you win? Uh, what's What's the path to victory? You're a city council member that obviously comes with something of a local base. But how do you expand it uh, beyond that, especially in a field where you've got, you know, a couple people like City Council member Jamani Williams who just ran a statewide race and you know, raised his name recognition in a big way and you know a couple other people that also have some solid name recognition. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's important to know that I- I've, I've done a lot of work that has gotten citywide attention, uh, wh- whether it be banning plastic straws or trying to legalize uh, e-bikes for delivery drivers. Uh, I-, I've, I've, I have a record of, of passing and, and pushing legislation that affects all New Yorkers across the board. I think that has helped me uh, be able to uh, break out of my own district. Uh, but at the, at, at another point to make is that, you know, as a young legislator, uh, I thought it was always important to find ways to get young people involved in the process. And the reason young people never got involved is because government never really spoke to the issues that matter to them most. I think if you look at my legislative history, I have been able to do that uh, I hope to increase voter turnout in this election. I'm hoping for a high voter turnout, because I think that would only work in my favor. Uh, and I hope that uh, in, in the next few weeks uh, we're, we're able to uh, get New Yorkers uh, more and more aware of this race uh, because that would only, I believe, strengthen my candidacy, and my chances of winning this race.
0: I just want to jump in with one last question, Councilmember. You know, this comes up uh, a lot when we're talking about executives at every level these days, which is to what extent and on what topic should they be investigated? The public advocate has some ability to investigate uh, the mayor and the mayor's agencies. The city council has that ability too. In fact, there's a relatively new committee dedicated to that. How would you use the powers of the public advocate to investigate, or would you, uh, to investigate the mayor and his agencies? Is there anything that jumps out in your mind that warrants investigation?
1: One hundred percent, I would use those powers, especially uh, to oversee uh, the operations at NYCHA. I think that what we've seen the, the past few weeks and months uh, have been criminal. Uh, the fact that that uh, pay wasn't being addressed, and there were there were you know thousands of kids who were being poisoned and and possibly. Uh, getting symptoms and, and uh, illnesses that are affecting them to, for the rest of their lives. You know, is something that should not be taken lightly. And as public advocate, I'm going to continue looking into that and pushing across the board to make sure that NYCHA is
2: finally
1: properly, uh, properly funded, but also that any funding that is received is not being mismanaged, is not being wasted. Itself.
2: Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there, Councilmember. Thanks so much for joining us here on WBAI. And uh, if we don't talk to you the rest of the way here, good luck on the campaign trail.
1: Thank you, guys. Pleasure being
2: on. Thanks. And you're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI Radio, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. It's Ben Max from Gotham Gazette with Jarrett Murphy of City Limits. We're in our last few minutes of today's program where we've dissected Andrew Cuomo's chances of running for president. And we've talked to city council member Rafael Espinal about his Candidacy in the special election for public advocate Jarrett. Couple thoughts on Council Member Espinal.
0: Espinal, it's a you know he, he presents uh, his his resume. There are other things there too. He p- proposed a bill to I thought very sensibly require netting along the yeah. uh, railings of uh, baseball stadiums, uh, which as a parent of a of a baseball fan, I've been very happy to to have heard about. Um, but what's interesting is you, you hear about that and in, in his his resume of accomplishments and others in the race certainly have their resume too. But this is going to be a difficult race for folks to like you and me to cover because it's a special election. It's an office that despite being now more than 20 years old, um, still um, is kind of enigmatic to many people. And you have such a crowded field at this stage um, that, and you've moderated uh, at least one debate, maybe, maybe more than that, on this. Two now, yes. Uh, in this race, just trying to get all the candidates in and give Do to each one of them is challenging just from a logistical standpoint.
2: It is. It's a little bit wild. Um, You know, I was actually looking at the details of what the debate situation, the formal debate situation for the special election is going to be. And, you know, I was talking with the New York City Campaign Finance Board representatives about this. And uh, basically, you know, like I said, we're going to see this field winnow with petitioning, but there still could easily be 12, 15, 16 candidates. The first first uh, part of the... There's there, going to be two debates before the special election, so get ready for those. Two formal debates. Uh, both should be televised, I assume. But um, the first one is just a basic fundraising threshold. So that one could easily see all the people on the ballot make it. And then there would be a leading contenders debate, which is basically up to the sponsors to determine. But this is very challenging. It will be certainly challenging to do a tele, televised debate with 15 candidates or even 10 uh, Uh, I've had challenges doing, you know, doing these forum debates with seven or eight. And even the last one we did, we decided there were 16 candidates signed up to come that night. We did in clusters of four. So we did a half hour with four, half hour with another four. And that actually went fairly well, but you don't get to see everybody at the same time. and, And it's tricky. I think what Espinal said about his constituency, that he's made a name for himself with some of this legislation that applies citywide is pretty interesting. I just don't know how many voters that really gets you. I mean, maybe it's a few dozen in a couple of the industries that matter, but I just don't know how many you know, sort of voting New Yorkers, even in a special election where the most locked in voters are going to come out. Uh, know about his resume
0: that's a fascinating element though is that because you have this crowded field and because it is a special election on a tuesday in february where the weather could be terrible any number of variables that come into it because it's a weather it's a wintertime election there is no runoff provision here you know usually for a citywide office you got to get your 40 percent, or there's the top two running off there is no function there's no mechanism for that now so especially in a crowded field if you can bring out your voters the a few thousand people who've supported you in the past you might be in pretty good stead even if the city as as a whole does not rise to your cause just because 10% could win it. I mean, who knows? Or 20% could win this thing.
2: And this is where I think Assemblymember Danny O'Donnell of the Upper West Side has a big advantage because the Upper West Side votes in big numbers. And if he can get his people out from the Upper West Side, he could potentially be in really good shape. Hopefully, we'll talk to him in the coming weeks. Um, although, like some of the other candidates in the race, other Assembly members, he's about to go start his work in Albany for the year. Or maybe, we assume, they're going to go uh, take care of those duties while they're running for public advocate. We'll have to keep an eye on their attendance up there. Um, but that certainly gives him an advantage. And like I said, Jamani Williams certainly has to be thought of as a front runner because he just ran a statewide race in which he did very well in the city, got hundreds of thousands of votes. Again, special election in February, who knows exactly what the electorate will look like, but at least that helps him. And then, you know, former city council speaker Melissa Mark Viverito has at least some some advantage in name recognition, although she was only ever really elected in her district. It's not like she's been elected borough or citywide. You get elected speaker by the members.
0: True. In her last uh, district election, she did not uh, run away with it. But so much to talk about. We'll be hearing from more public advocate candidates here on Max and Murphy. We'll be talking about the beginning of that legislative session in Albany with such a long agenda. Also, the mayor's state of the state address next state week. Of the city state coming city up next Thursday. Coming up yes. next Thursday. So much to talk about. Be sure to tune in uh, next week at 5 p.m. in WBAI. You've been listening to Max and Murphy. Happy New Year.